Welcome to this week's edition of Worcester Talking News, recorded on Tuesday the 20th of April and brought to you by Worcester News and Equipment for the Blind and with permission of the Worcester News. I'm Pippa Curtis and the team this week comprises John Plush as recording engineer, Carol Hartle on copying and admin and my co-reader today is Phil Lee. Hello, it's good to be back with you. It's very good to see you, Phil. I'd like to extend a warm welcome to any new listeners and hope you enjoy our recording. As always, we will include, first of all, a list of useful telephone numbers. We'll follow with the headline stories, a selection of general news stories, some sport, and then finishing up with the thought for the week, sunrise and sunset times, and of course, the birthday file. If we don't have a record of your birthday and you'd like to be included, please do get in touch and we can add it to the file. Obituaries are now recorded after the closing music and we will also be asking you to listen carefully at the end for a listener survey details. We do like to hear from you, so if you have any comments or problems, a message can be left on the answer phone on 01905 767 766. Alternatively, just put a note in your wallet. Finally, the service is free to users but if you'd like to make a donation, it can be sent to Colin Chance House, Wilds Lane, Worcester, WR5 1DA. So let's start this week with the telephone numbers, which Phil is going to read to you. Indeed. We'll start with Wilds Lane, which, as Pippa just said, is Worcester, which is 01905 767 and I'm asked to point out that listeners should be aware that it is not manned daily and need to be patient if a reply is required. Police non-emergency is 101. NHS Direct is 111. Out of Hours Medical Assistance 0300-123-3211. And that's between 6 and 8pm. Crime Stoppers is 0800 555111. The Worcester Hub is 01905 765 765. Worcestershire County Council here to help is 01905 768053 and then you press option 3. Community Risk Team, which is Fire Safety, 0800 032 1155. The domestic abuse helpline is 0800-980-3331. Sense Adventures, which is walking for the visually impaired, call D. Jones on 01684-891-1297 or 07920-144-614. If you'd like to email, it's www. and these are all small case letters, senseadventures.co.uk. The Samaritans is 116123. Worcester Live is 01905 611427. And Malvern Theatres, 01684 Thank you, Phil. So the headlines for the past week are as follows. 
Tuesday, April the 13th, joy and anger as dog is given back. Wednesday the 14th, thief mum targeted city supermarkets. Thursday the 15th, dangerous parking will cause a crash. Friday the 16th, revealed the chaos at children's home. Saturday the 17th, Yob smashed up police car. Monday the 19th, thief set to be deported. And Tuesday the 20th, hidden camera pervert allowed to walk free. So we'll start uh, with the Tuesday 13th story. Take it away, Phil. Okay. Joy and anger as dog is given back. A dog has been returned to a couple four months after he was seized by police, but they say that he's now just skin and bones. Carol and John Roberts both broke down in tears when their beloved Dylan was returned to them by West Mercia Police on Friday. Neither of them had seen him at all since he was seized by the police in December because he was suspected of a fatal attack on another dog, something the couple have always denied. While relieved to have him back at their home in Guildford Close, the couple were shocked at his poor condition and believed that he had, if he had been kept in kennels any longer, he would have died. When he was taken, they say, he was a healthy weight, but now Dylan's ribcage and spine are clearly visible through his skin and fur. His collar, which had fitted him snugly, now hangs loose from his neck. Mrs Roberts, 72, who estimates that Dylan has lost over half his body weight, said that when three officers arrived at her home, her first thought was that they had come to take her other dog, Alfie. When she saw Dylan, she said, I bent down crying. He looked like skin and bones. I was crying and trying to hold him. He was so skinny, I was frightened of hurting him. I said, I know why you have brought him back. It's because you're afraid of him dying in kennels. Mr Roberts, 79, who was on dialysis for kidney failure and has suffered three heart attacks, said, I broke down in tears. I could not believe it. I said, you bastards. I believe it had not been for the Worcester News. We would have had a dead dog. We're over the moon to have him back. On the verge of tears, he said he wished he could have done more to help his wife of 55 years, who was also his carer, but was so weak and ill. As a last desperate resort, the couple had planned a protest outside Worcester Police Station in Castle Street with placards in the hope that they could get Dylan back. They are convinced that police didn't want to see this protest go ahead as it would have looked bad for the force, which is one of the reasons why the dog was returned. In a heated exchange, Mrs Roberts, who accepts that she is feisty, was so upset at Dylan's condition that she told a female officer to get off my drive. When she offered to step back, Mrs Roberts said, no, you won't, get off my drive. When an officer handed her Dylan's medication, she said, she told them, I beg your pardon. Mrs Roberts said Dylan had never been on medication before he was seized and now he was on four different kinds, including anti-anxiety drugs and another for gastric problems as well as an antibiotic. They plan to take the dog to the vets today and are feeding him in the hope that he can put on some weight. Mrs Roberts said, I'd like to thank friends and family for all their help and the Worcester News. Police have confirmed that a dog had to be put down after a savage mauling by a Staffordshire Bull Terrier in Worcester in August last year. But the great-grandmother maintained throughout that the description of the attack dog did not match Dylan, describing him as gentle and innocent and saying he wouldn't hurt a fly. A spokesman for West Mercia Police said, as part of an investigation into the tragic death of a small terrier dog, Dylan had to be seized by police and was homed in private kennels. 
We submitted a prosecution file of advice to the Crown Prosecution Service in December 2020 and they have now made the decision to take no further action. Therefore, we returned Dylan to his home on Friday after the decision was made by the CPS. He was walked daily and had enrichment activities provided by the kennels. We are aware that he was prescribed medication by the vet during his stay in kennels for a number of ailments and have therefore provided the owners with the details and the necessary follow-on medication. And the story for Wednesday, April 14th. Thief mum targeted city supermarkets. A cocaine-snorting Worcester shoplifter who tried to steal more than £1,300 from supermarkets made an obscene gesture as she walked free from court. Jade Hughes of Carlisle Road, Ronxwood, made the two-fingered salute at a Worcester news reporter as Worcester magistrates gave her yet another chance to turn her life around despite her complete failure to engage with probation or drug rehabilitation services. In total, she stole, or attempted to steal, £1,316 worth of goods in just three months. The 29-year-old mum, who is on benefits and claims she is living on the breadline because of the bedroom tax, said she could not keep in contact with relevant support agencies because she didn't know how to download WhatsApp onto her mobile phone. She admitted stealing a Henry Hoover to the value of £99 from Tesco in St Peter's, Worcester, on January the 8th this year. The cocaine user also attempted to steal £323 of groceries from Lidl in Droitwich on November the 11th last year and attempting to steal £795 worth of groceries, again from the St Peter's Tesco, on New Year's Eve last year. She also stole lint chocolate worth £20 from the co-op in Litchfield Avenue, Ronxwood, Worcester, on February the 10th this year. The thief already owed the court £1,836 in fines when she appeared before magistrates again yesterday. This sum is being deducted from her benefits at just £20 a week. Hughes admitted all offences in police interview saying she was struggling with a number of addictions and wanted to get herself back under some probation support. Judith Kenny, defending, said Hughes admitted the offences at the earliest opportunity to police and at court and felt that if she had support, she could address her addictions. Mrs Kenny said Hughes received a text message from Willowdean Drug Rehabilitation Services to remind her she had an assessment via WhatsApp, but she responded saying, I can't download WhatsApp, and can I rearrange for tomorrow, when she planned to use her cousin's phone. Willow Dean believes she did not engage, but that isn't my accordance with my instructions, said Mrs Kenny. She explained that her client was on universal credit of £348 per month and had rent arrears of £1,700. That money is now paid directly to platform housing. She has two spare bedrooms and as a consequence has to pay £30 per month bedroom tax. She has to pay that herself. It's not paid by the state. She is really on the breadline, said Mrs Kenny, who described her client as leading a chaotic lifestyle. The solicitor said Hughes was only left with £57 per week to survive on. That isn't £10 per day, said Miss Kenny. Miss Kenny added, 
She also has a cocaine habit. She funds that by selling some of the food. She's also suffering with mental health problems. Hughes was described as desperate to get off this cocaine and very lonely living on her own in a big empty house. In her words, relayed through Mrs Kenny, Hughes said, I spiral into depression and that's when I use drugs. However, a probation officer said Hughes had been offered support numerous times and had never let her know she could not download WhatsApp. When called, the defendant did not answer her phone, she said. She isn't suitable at this moment in time for Willa Dean because of her lack of engagement or motivation, she said. She buried her head in the sand and did nothing. Judith Holland, the chairman of the bench, said Hughes had put them in a difficult position as we're very reluctant to send you to custody because that isn't going to assist you as far as your drug problem is concerned. Mrs Holland said she had heard from Mrs Kenny that Hughes was keen to address her drug problem but not keen enough to contact the probation officer when she could not download WhatsApp. You did not show that initiative. You just buried your head in the sand and thought it would sort itself out, she said. However, the magistrates decided to give Hughes one last-ditch attempt to address her issues. Mrs Holland added, If you return to these courts with further offences, you are going to find that custody is a very real prospect because there is nothing left to do. They imposed a 12-month community order with 20 rehabilitation activity requirement days. Hughes was also excluded from Tesco and St Peter's and Hughes is already banned from all Waitroses nationally. OK, now before I read this story, I'm going to have to admit that I've often driven past this place and thought, I don't know how to pronounce that. I hope it never comes up when I'm doing the talking news. <laughs> and here it is. It's spelt W-E-O-G-O-R-A-N. So is it Uyghurin? Uyghurin? Forgive me anyway. I'll, I'll have a go. It only comes up once, so we're all right. Is it the Saxon name for Worcester? The Yes, it is I the Saxon is, name yes. for us. They're nodding their heads. Great. Good In luck. that case, I still don't know. <laughs> Here we go. Dangerous parking will cause a crash. Angry residents say dangerous parking by builders at the new Weorgaran Park housing estate has become such a nightmare that it is just a matter of time before there is a serious accident. Some residents say the issue has become so bad that they haven't even been able to get into the St Modwin built estate at times, waiting more than 20 minutes on the busy Whittington Road section of the dual carriageway because traffic has been reduced to one way on Romney Way, which is the access road to the site. A Worcester News reporter went out to the site yesterday and found no parking signs throughout the estate being ignored by builders' vans and cars who were spotted parking up and then walking to the building sites. One resident of Beltex Drive, who did not wish to be named, said, They park outside mine all day, 7am until 5pm. They've blocked me in, and when I've went to ask them to move, some have become aggressive. It has become a nightmare. Around 40 residents have complained about it. If they park on the path, you can't get a double buggy through. But when they are parked all four wheels on the road, I am blocked in, and there is no space for these heavy goods vehicles to get past. A child wouldn't be seen, so there could easily be a serious accident. This has been going on since October. We have complained, but they don't want to know. You would have thought when they took over the site that they'd have planned for the parking. Another resident in Romney Way, who also wished not to be named, said this has been particularly bad this week, as they, have all used, as they all used to park on the Oak Apple Pub's car park. But of course they can't do that now, so they are using the streets. 
Complaints were made to the site manager on Tuesday, so it has not been as bad today, but they have had to put signs up. Some residents in the area are blaming Vistry Partnerships, which is building a care home on one of the roads off Romney Way. But others have told us that the contractors from St Modwin are also adding to the problems. Pat Agar, Worcester City Councillor for the Nunnery Ward in which Weogren Park is located, said they, the developers, are supposed to have a site plan and traffic management for construction, so if they are not obeying that, then it is an issue. A traffic management plan is required these days in an application like Weogren Park, so that word's coming up more often than I'd anticipate. We will be contacting the police, the City Council Planning Enforcement and County Council Highways because they should be doing what the traffic management says and it sounds like they are obeying that. A spokesman for Vistry Partnership said the care home is due for completion imminently and the first residents are due to move in over the summer. The spokesman added, We have been made aware of complaints from local residents regarding unsuitable parking near the site and we are working with lead developers to swiftly resolve this. We are committed to being a good neighbour whilst construction lasts and all operatives parking on site have been reminded of their responsibilities. We have also agreed to conduct regular parking reviews throughout the day to make sure the issue does not reoccur. A spokesman for St Modwin Homes said safety is our number one priority and we have addressed these concerns with our own site teams as well as other partners on the site to ensure correct parking procedures are being followed. So the headline story for Friday, April 16th, revealed the chaos at Children's Home. A damning investigation has revealed further reasons why Children's Residential Home was forced to close. Greenhill Lodge in Worcester closed last year following a review by inspectors from Ofsted which raised serious concerns about the poorly managed Children's Homes. A critical whistleblowing report has now revealed how an assistant manager resigned due to a lack of support after being assaulted by a child, how young people were supplying drugs at the home and how two children that had been drinking escaped the home and fled in a stolen vehicle. The investigation found that staff did not feel comfortable whistleblowing about their concerns and feared they would not be dealt with properly. An investigation by Ofsted last year found that one vulnerable child had gone missing and another had broken out of the children's home in Merriman's Hill Road without staff realising. Staff were also unable to give basic information to police about the missing child. The children's home, which is registered by Worcestershire Children First, had space for up to eight vulnerable children, including those who had suffered traumatic experiences and others who had learning disabilities. Independent investigators Yvette Wade and Ruth Crockett said, We found relationships within Worcestershire Children First, particularly between the more senior management and the residential staff at Green Hill Lodge, did not allow staff and ex-staff to feel able to raise concerns without recourse to the whistleblowing policy. They feared their concerns would not be dealt with with dignity and respect as set out in the bullying and harassment policy. There was a lack of professional curiosity and objectiveness in some of the responses of the more senior managers to the lived experience of children living and staff working in Greenhill Lodge. We found a lack of trust and open two-way communication. Rob Morrison, chair of Worcestershire Children First, said, 
We can confirm the investigation was completed in November 2020 and the final report was presented to the, the then Chief Executive Officer, Catherine Driscoll. The report and its findings were shared with the relevant staff members and individual parents received outcome letters in January 2021. Having been referred to the Worcestershire Safeguarding Children Partnership in July 2020, upon commencement of the investigation, the final report was presented in January 2021. The partnership concluded... We accept the findings of their investigation, which showed that there was no evidence that the children at Greenhill Lodge were at immediate risk of significant harm or harmed. We have taken on board the findings of the investigation and we have spoken to the parents to reassure them. We are reviewing our policies and procedures to make sure that lessons have been learnt as we work to ensure that we support children and young people in the best possible way to be happy, healthy and safe. The report also found an assistant manager at the home who was assaulted by a young person, later resigned over a lack of support. The resignation, which came after concerns were raised over several months, left the home without adequate and competent day-to-day management, which probably led to the closure of the home in June last year. We found that WCF had not met all their legal and regulatory requirements in placing this young person in Greenhill Lodge, and the health and safety of the staff had not been adequately considered, particularly staff of one gender, given the young person's needs and behaviour, the report said. We considered the public would expect steps to be taken to ensure sufficient staff were on duty to manage if a young person expressed challenging behaviour. The report said one vulnerable child was unnecessarily moved from Greenhill Lodge to accommodate another child, the fallout of which led to Ofsted's involvement and the forced closure. The report concluded, the move of this young person was not in the public interest. The events which unfolded associated with this move caused additional work over the next few weeks from other public services such as the police. We thought this move was the catalyst, which started the sequence of events which led to Greenhill Lodge having its registration suspended by Ofsted, and the other children living there having to move in an emergency against their best interests. It also put considerable additional financial strain on the publicly funded Worcestershire Children First, again not in the public interest. The report also highlighted an incident in November 2019 in which two young people who had been drinking stole a vehicle from Greenhill Lodge and fled the home. The two young people were later found by police. The investigation blamed the lack of staff and reliance on agency workers for the incident. This incident was potentially very dangerous and could have had tragic outcomes, the investigation said. Fortunately, it did not. Due to sickness and the reliance on agency staff, there were not the skills and leadership on each shift to care for young people with such complex needs. The legal framework around children in care means the staffing at Oak House should have been sufficient and trained to be able to look after the young people there and prevent this happening. Okay. The next story is Yob smashed up police car. A drunk man with a history of violence trashed a police car in Worcester as officers responded to an emergency call, but the lout was so inebriated he could not even remember doing it. Luke Harborn caused £467 worth of damage to a West Mercia police Vauxhall Astra, which had been driven by an officer responding to an unrelated incident at the Founds Hotel in Worcester. 
the 25-year-old of Gregory's Bank, Worcester, appeared on video link from prison at Worcester Magistrates Court on Thursday, where he admitted causing criminal damage in November last year. The court heard how the defendant already owed the court more than £6,500 in fines before he decided to break the car's windows, including the windscreen. We reported in November 2019 how the serial offender was jailed for 23 weeks after attacking a woman who was eight weeks pregnant in front of two children. He admitted the assault, which happened in June 2019, when he appeared in court in November 2019. Harborn was given a three-year criminal behaviour order, which included a ban from Oldbury Road in Worcester. Harborn has previous convictions for assault and breaching a restraining order. When he was 21, he was jailed for 15 months for assaulting two men who refused to let him take crack cocaine in their homes, fracturing one victim's cheekbone in Rodborough Drive in September 2015. One of the victims was described at the time as a vulnerable man with mental health difficulties. The most recent incident involving damage to the police car happened on November the 24th last year. Harborn admitted that he intended to destroy or damage the vehicle. Mark Hambling, prosecuting, said officers were attending an incident at the Founds Hotel. He said, Upon returning, they saw that their vehicle was damaged. The front window and side window had been smashed. Harborn was identified and arrested. He accepted damaging the car, but told officers in an interview that he was too drunk to remember anything. He states it must have been him, because the evidence says it was him, but he just can't remember anything, said Mr Hambling. The court heard that Harborn had a previous conviction for criminal damage. Mr Hambling asked magistrates to award £467 compensation at £135 cost. Mark Turnbull, defending, said he has very little memory of what happened. Harborn had entered a guilty plea at the first opportunity, he said. The solicitor accepted that the fact that the damage was against a police car was an aggravating feature. Mr Harborn does not have a particularly good relationship with the police, he said. Probation asked that an existing community order imposed on October the 17th, 2019 by magistrates in Kidderminster should be revoked, and this was granted. Magistrates made a compensation order awarding West Mercia Police the full amount of the damage of the car. This will be consolidated with Harborn's existing fines of £6,567. And the story for Monday, April the 19th, thief set to be deported. And before I begin this story, I also have a very difficult name to pronounce. Um, it's Romanian, and I'm just going to call him Jorge. Uh, so apologies, Mr. Jorge, if I've got that all wrong. A brazen professional thief who stole more than £8,000 from a Worcester Boots store faces deportation to his native Romania. Cornell Jorge had a temper tantrum the last time he was at Worcester Crown Court earlier this month over prison video link shouting, putting his head in his hands, waving his arms about and banging his fist on a table as he wailed, I was hoping to go home today. He is expected to get his wish, but perhaps not in the sense he meant, as a judge jailed him for 16 months on Friday. The Home Secretary is required to deport any foreign national who's received a custodial sentence of at least 12 months, unless a specified exception applies. On Friday, the defendant, who had been brought from HMP Pentonville on a prison ban, interrupted a city judge several times during his sentencing hearing. Judge Martin Jackson told the shoplifter, who claims to have a sick child in Romania, 
that the defendant had lied about his address and gave a conflicting accounts about when he had lost his job, indicating to him that he could not be believed. When the 34-year-old tried to interrupt, talking in an animated way to his interpreter, Judge Jackson raised his voice and pointed his finger at the defendant, jabbing it at him several times and warning him, I don't want an interruption. But when the defendant continued to argue from his seat in the dock, the judge told Yorge, I'm not here to listen to you, causing him to fall silent. Nick Berry, prosecuting, said Yorge had stolen a total of £8,227 worth of goods from Boots during three separate raids in which he made off with cosmetics and other products, including toothbrush heads, number seven skincare creams, mascara and razor blades, emptying them into carrier bags and gift bags. Yorge carried out the raids on October the 19th last year at 4.43pm when he stole £4,494 of goods, October the 26th when he stole £2,748 and November the 2nd when he stole £984 worth of goods. During one incident, he was seen on CCTV to clear shelves of number seven skin creams. However, he was detained by Debenham's loss prevention officers and arrested at 5.46pm that same day. In police interview, he told officers he'd been under pressure to provide for his two young children, one of whom was poorly. Amber Morell, defending, said her client had entered his guilty pleas at the earliest available, available opportunity following admissions made at Worcester Police Station. He'd worked in a car wash, but due to COVID-19, they'd all closed down. She said he'd come to Worcester to find work, not to steal. Miss Morell also said Boots is a large company. In the context of their revenue, the loss isn't as significant as it would be for small independent retailers. The solicitor told the court her client had already served the equivalent of an eight-month custodial sentence after he was remanded in custody on January the 5th this year. A court probation liaison officer who interviewed Yorge down in the cells said he stated that being in Her Majesty's prison Pentonville has been a significantly painful lesson for him. The defendant also told the officer that approximately two and a half months before he began committing these offences that he had not been paid by his employer and, out of desperation, turned to this offending behaviour. However, the judge rejected the recommendation for a curfew and an exclusion order from Boots, telling the defendant that he must serve a sentence of immediate custody. Judge Jackson told Yorge, "'It's clear to me that you were deliberately targeting the same shop.' I find it particularly striking that these offences are committed about the same time of day, seven days apart. It suggests to me there was significant planning because it indicates to me that you had identified a shop that would be vulnerable at a particular time of day and quite possibly on the same day of the week. I consider I am dealing with someone who is a professional thief. Judge Jackson said he was satisfied the thief had used a lookout during the thefts. The judge also noticed noted that Yorge had committed offences at Boots in Ipswich on January the 4th this year and B&Q in Enfield on February the 4th this year when he stole £600 worth of door locks. He further noted that the defendant had a foil-lined bag or box for hiding the stolen goods. Judge Jackson said there was a pattern of dishonesty in your dealings with the police and the courts. It seems to me that the loss of job story is something that is used as a convenient excuse, the judge told him. 
He also said Jorge had given an incorrect address to the court and this only came to light when the true occupier of the dress wrote to the court. He went on to describe the defendant as someone who cannot be believed. The judge told Jorge that were he to impose a community order or a suspended sentence order, it would be breached repeatedly. Judge Jackson sentenced Jorge to 16 months immediate custody. Time spent on remand will count towards the length of time he serves. Hidden camera pervert allowed to walk free. An upskirt pervert who filmed 250 victims in Worcester and even a couple having sex in their own home has been spared jail. Richard Wiley bought a large hold-all for his anticipated jail sentence, but in the end he didn't need it, walking free at Worcester Crown Court yesterday with his face hidden behind a grey hood. The camera-shy pervert used a GoPro camera hidden inside an adapted boot to film the genitals and buttocks of women and girls in Worcester and Malvern while working as a University of Worcester subcontractor. In total, the engineer took 6,436 images between June 26 and August 15, 2019, his campaign of depravity only coming to an end when a 16-year-old girl raised the alarm after he took a photo up her skirt after following her on an escalator in a shop in Worcester. Of these images, over 5,000 were images of females he had taken, including of their buttocks and genitals. There was no evidence any of the images had been shared or distributed to others. The victim, aside from the one who caught Wiley in the act, may never be known. The 32-year-old of Lavender Lane, Starbridge, admitted voyeurism to charges of recording an image under clothing to observe without consent and operating equipment under the clothing and beneath the clothing of another without consent. Judge Martin Jackson, who sentenced him to a three-year community order, said this is not a soft option. The father of two showed no emotion as the sentence was announced and he walked free. Jason Aris, prosecuting, said police tracked Wiley using Worcester City Centre's CCTV system, following his movements to a building owned by the University of Worcester. He was identified as a subcontractor for the university, testing fire alarms. Police seized a number of mobile phones from the defendant before searching his vehicle, where they found the camera. Police also found an SD card, which had a further 94 images on it, filmed outside of two properties, including photos of women either topless or in states of undress. Three videos showed a couple engaged in sexual intercourse. Mr Aris argued that this was raised harm within the sentencing guidelines, as the couple had been filmed inside their own home. In terms of the upskirting, he said culpability was raised because there had been a significant degree of planning. Footwear has been altered and amended to enable the GoPro device to be stuck to it, he said. However, he accepted mitigating features, including the defendant entering a guilty plea at the earliest possible opportunity. The victim, who was filmed in the shop, read out her victim personal statement from behind a screen, telling the court... This incident has impacted every aspect of my life. She felt unable to take her cousin out again after what happened and added, I am constantly looking over my shoulder. She described suffering from sleepless nights, anxiety about being followed and worry about what would happen to her if she was by herself. The victim also reported that she had become more conscious about what she wore. It even had an impact on her choice of university. 
Judge Jackson described how the defendant had pounced on the victim in the High Street shop. However, he also noted that the defendant had undertaken therapy voluntarily and tried to address the causes of his offending. That leads me to the conclusion that there is a realistic prospect of rehabilitation, he said. It seems to me that this was something done for sexual gratification and you have accepted that by pleading guilty to the charges you face. The maximum sentence he could impose for the voyeurism offence was one of two years in prison. The judge said, taken together, the offences were Category 1 within the guidelines. Judge Jackson placed him on a three-year community order to include an accredited sex offenders programme. While he was placed on an electronically monitored curfew between 9pm and 6am for four months and ordered him to pay £750 compensation to the one victim who has been identified. He was also placed on a sexual harm prevention order for five years, which gives the police extra powers to monitor his use of electronic devices. He is also subject to notification requirements as a convicted sex offender. The forfeiture and the destruction of the camera and the SD card were also authorised. Well, that concludes the uh, headline stories for the week. So we'll move on now to some general news stories. And I will begin with one about resurfacing. Drivers using Worcester City Centre will be faced with diversions over the coming weeks as Worcestershire County Council's roads resurfacing workers get busy. The normal one-way system in Trinity Street in Worcester City Centre is being suspended for just over two weeks, starting on Wednesday, April 21st. Resurfacing work will be carried out in Trinity Street from its junction with St Nicholas Street to its junction with St Swithin's Street. An alternative route will see drivers using St Nicholas Street, Angel Street, Angel Place and Broad Street. On the same day, resurfacing work will begin in Green Hill, London Road, meaning that it will be closed from its junction with London Road to its junction with the Hill Avenue. Access to frontages is unaffected, but through motorists will be taken on an alternative route using St Dunstan's Crescent, Battenhall Road, London Road and vice versa. Sorry, Work is expected to take about 10 days. Next month, Lowersmore Place is also being resurfaced. Uh, plans are in place to close the road from its junction with Lowersmore Terrace to its junction with Shrub Hill Road. Work is due to start on Sunday, May the 9th, and traffic will be diverted along Lowersmore Terrace, Pheasant Street, George Street, Tallow Hill and Shrub Hill Road and vice versa. It's thought the work will take about eight days. Hilton Road in St John's will be partially closed next month as well for resurfacing work. The section of the road from its junction with Tybridge Street to its junction with Henwick Road will be closed at various points over a two- to three-week period, starting on May the 6th. There is no indication from the council as yet whether the road closure is planned to take place overnight, but diversions will take drivers north through the city to cross the Severn at Holtfleet, before travelling southward into Worcester again. Headmaster's tribute to Prince Philip. A headmaster has paid his respects to the Duke of Edinburgh, highlighting how his award scheme inspired thousands of his pupils. The scheme that encourages helping others was founded in 1954 at the request of the Prince's former headmaster, Kurt Hahn, and has achieved incredible popularity among young people. 
John Pitt, RGS headmaster, said that over the years at RGS Worcester and RGS Dodder Hill, thousands of pupils had completed their Duke of Edinburgh awards. It is incredibly sad to hear of the passing of the late Duke of Edinburgh. The RGS schools offer our sincerest condolences to Her Majesty the Queen, the headmaster said. The Duke of Edinburgh Award Scheme is a highlight for former and current RGS pupils as they are challenged to work together, develop crucial life skills and contribute to their community. We would like to take this opportunity to thank the Duke of Edinburgh and his former headmaster and celebrate this wonderful legacy, one which will continue at the RGS schools and in many other schools across the country for years to come. Antique Centre set to open at Estate. A new antique centre set within the grounds of a Grade 2 listed building opens in Worcestershire this weekend. Kaya Park Antiques Barn officially launches on Saturday, April 17th. Visitors can expect to find eclectic antiques from across the globe. Founder Tony Whitridge said, From the moment I saw the barn and the idyllic grounds of Kaya Park House, this felt like a destination, a destination that people would travel to. With both established dealers of 30-plus years and complete newbies to the industry, we've filled the barn with an eclectic offer, appealing to a wide range of interests, from traditional country house to mid-century chic, French brocante to vintage industrial retail. Many of our dealers have little online presence at all, so you'll be sure to find outstanding pieces you've never seen before. Kaya Park Antiques Barn isn't just for adults. The manor's numerous ponds, cascades and bridges can be easily navigated through a self-guided walk for a day of family fun. Although the house itself is not open to public viewing, Kaya Park House, near Tenbury Wells, has typical 14th century style complemented by 18th century additions. The house and grounds have served as a home to various lords and earls, a military hospital during the Second World War and a nursing home for children suffering from chest ailments in the 1950s and 60s. Kaya Park is owned by Zarane Gwynne-Jones and her late husband, Tim Gwynne-Jones, who originally had the idea of an on-site antique barn before he died. During the launch event, visitors will be treated to complimentary food from an on-site bistro with drinks available from the bar. Local producers will be serving up food for a light lunch with a glass of wine. Kaya Park Antiques Barn will be open from 10am to 5pm. Traders glad to be back. Shop owners in Worcester have expressed their joy at being able to welcome their customers back after the country entered the next step of the government's roadmap out of lockdown. Non-essential shops and hairdressers were able to open earlier in the week as restrictions began to ease. For Matthew Stone, who runs the His and Hers Hair Salon with his family in Broad Street, reopening was a bittersweet moment, as his father, who founded the business, died in November after contracting Covid. Matthew said, We are feeling a bit anxious about today because it's been a long time off and we lost my father, so we're carrying on the business without him now. We're booked up for the next few weeks and it's very busy, but it's good to get back to work and nice seeing all the old faces again. We've been advised to take bookings only at the moment, and we've been absolutely rammed this morning. Stuart Connop, the owner of Jessica's Sweet Shop in Mealcheapen Street, was in buoyant mood yesterday morning. He said, we've got two shops, this one and one in Hereford as well, and they've both started off quite well this morning. 
We started an online website for the shop, so we've been keeping a high profile during lockdown and we've been serving people through deliveries. I think things will soon return to normal. Obviously, we have lost a couple of stores such as Debenhams and a couple around the corner, but hopefully I think we should be okay. We have had a decent bit of support from the government with the furlough scheme and we've had a couple of grants to see us through, but we're ready to open now. It was getting a bit hairy. He added, I can understand that people might be hesitant to come out and I think we should crack on, but obviously safely, because the last thing we want to do is to go back into another lockdown, so it is important to do it safely. Meanwhile, the popular city centre market in Angel Place, Worcester, reopened on Wednesday, April 14th. A new company, Cotswold Markets Limited, has been appointed by Worcester City Council to operate the market, which will be open every week from Wednesday to Saturday. The boss of Worcestershire Acute Hospitals NHS Trust says it could be two years before hospitals return to where they were pre-COVID. And he described how his own health issues meant he had to shield in the pandemic. Matthew Hopkins, chief executive of the trust that runs Worcestershire Royal Hospital and the hospitals in Redditch and Kidderminster, has also spoken of how he was forced to work from home and could not visit the sites as the crisis unfolded, as his own health problems put him at risk of catching the deadly virus. Mr Hopkins suffered from a serious kidney disease and had his first kidney transplant in 2017. But after that failed, he was forced to have a second one in 2019, with Mr Hopkins' partner, Rachel Royal, donating one of hers. We had a complete match in terms of blood groups and so on. She has been incredible, and it was a shock she was able to do that for me. It's been amazing, Mr Hopkins said. When coronavirus first hit the news, the 54-year-old said he realised the threat COVID posed to him and that he would be one of those shielding. One of the consequences of having a transplant is that you have to take drugs to suppress your immune system, And, of course, it quickly emerged that COVID had a bigger impact on people with a weakened immune system, he said. The risk assessment we had had meant I had to comply with not coming into the hospital sites and working remotely. It is interesting, though, how quickly we all adapt. I had 108 of our staff in a similar position, working remotely because of their illnesses and risk. But people adapted really well. Mr Hopkins has had both COVID vaccinations, which he said made him feel far more comfortable about going out and encouraged everyone to take up their vaccine when offered. Speaking on the current situation at the three hospitals, Mr Hopkins said, We are back to pre-COVID levels of capacity in our diagnostic tests. In terms of our urgent patients that need to be brought in again for surgery, we're seeing them quickly again now. For the routine non-urgent care, it is going to be a good year or more possibly two years, before we're back to pre-COVID waiting times. Over the course of the last year, our waiting list has grown by a third and we're still adding people to it. We would actually want to improve the waiting times because the people of Worcestershire have had to wait longer than average, so we are keen for better waiting times. But that is is going to take a couple of years. I feel very sorry for people on the list who have been affected but I know people will understand we had to prioritise the sick patients that were coming in. In the first lockdown, we were instructed to focus on the COVID patients. And then in the second, we were asked to get the balance right. But we're dealing with the second peak, which was much greater than the first. And so the impact was much greater on those waiting for routine treatment. 
our staff did their very best. If you think of major incidents we normally deal with, like a train crash or a chemical spillage, those would last perhaps a week at most, whereas this lasted a year. We need to learn how to best manage an incident that goes on for a long time. Call for candidates to improve cycling. More than 80 candidates for next month's council elections have backed a call to boost cycling and walking in the county in the next four years. The Worcestershire Active Travel Partnership has invited all 251 candidates standing for election on May 6th to pledge to support moves to make it easier and safer to walk and cycle in the county in the areas they are looking to represent. More than 80 candidates from across the country and across the political spectrum have so far indicated support. The partnership, which was formed earlier this year and is backed by more than 40 cycling, walking and environmental groups representing some 30,000 county residents, said its main purpose was to highlight the benefits of encouraging and increasing walking and cycling in the county, especially with more than half of car journeys in the county clocking under five miles. The partnership wants to encourage the County Council with its highways, public health, environmental and economic responsibilities to give a higher priority to encouraging active travel in this next four-year term, said a spokesman. The partnership, therefore, has invited all 251 candidates to pledge to the idea. The list of candidates was only formally announced on April the 9th, but already over 80 candidates have responded. Such a positive response is reflected of the increased levels of public support for active travel. In a recent national YouGov poll, 77% of those surveyed supported measures to encourage cycling and walking. Of these, 80% wanted UK streets redesigned to better protect pedestrians and cyclists from motorists. Whoever you vote for or get selected, it is equally important that we all individually consider leaving the car at home and using leg power rather than horsepower for more of our shorter journeys. By doing so, you will be helping yourself, your community and the planet. Climate activists took to the streets of Worcester this weekend for a crime scene demonstration. Members of Extinction Rebellion Worcestershire performed a climate crime scene a street theatre in the centre of Worcester on Saturday. The crime scene features a faceless councillor stamping bits of paper at their desk, ignoring the warning signs of what is to come. People beg for help, but when their pleas go unanswered, they fall to the ground and die. Forensic investigators in hazmat suits move in to examine the bodies. They issue death certificates which list extreme heat, food shortage and air pollution as causes of death. Andy Lyon from Malvern helped write the performance and said, Our crime scene is designed to show the real dangers of delaying action on the climate crisis until it is too late. We want to make it clear that the people in positions of power, like our county council, need to act with urgency. The survival of future generations is in their hands. People around the world are already suffering from extreme weather right now. Here in Worcestershire, we're already experiencing increased flooding and there will be many more consequences in the future, like food shortages, extreme heat and toxic air and water. To ignore the dire predictions of scientists across the world is just plain irresponsible. The Council only discuss climate change at one meeting per year. It really isn't good enough. 
County Council elections are coming up and the people of Worcestershire will be looking for candidates who take the climate emergency seriously. By failing to recognise the danger that lies ahead, the County Council will turn Worcestershire into a climate crime scene. Those in power need to act now. By ignoring the warning signs, they are condemning future generations to suffer. Two in five city people affected by lockdown loneliness. More than two in five people in Worcester who say the coronavirus pandemic has affected their well-being put it down to lockdown loneliness, new figures suggest. Mental health charities have called for people's mental health and well-being to be made a priority in the recovery from COVID-19. An Office for National Statistics survey conducted between October the 14th and February the 22nd asked people aged 16 and over if their well-being had been affected in the last seven days by the pandemic. Of those in Worcester who said it had, 44.6% attributed this to being lonely. Across Britain, the average was 38.6%. The ONS said young people were more likely to suffer from this form of lockdown loneliness. Tom Madders, director of campaigns at mental health charity Young Minds, said young people had experienced loneliness and isolation as COVID-19 has limited their social lives, their education and their jobs. It is important that young people get to know where to get support for their mental health if they are struggling and they can access help as soon as they need it, he added. And another story about COVID, but from a different perspective. In the first of a new series of features, Paul Hayward offers a rural perspective on how life has altered for those of us living outside the cities and towns. As we follow the roadmap for leaving lockdown, we have an opportunity to look back over the past year and the challenges that the virus caused in the local villages. In March 2020, as the country entered the first lockdown, the villages of White Ladies Aston, Broughton Hackett, Spetchley and Churchill had just been collectively awarded the title Witchhaven's Village of Culture. The villages had such plans for their communities in the year ahead, but many of the activities involved people meeting together inside. Social distancing and stay-at-home instructions put a stop to such plans. To their rescue came technology in the form of Zoom. But while it offered a solution to socially distancing, it also brought its own problems. Some villagers were naturals, while others needed personal tuition. Some locations had good reception, while others had poor or unreliable links. Some equipment was a little suspect. Eventually, villagers started to link together for a range of activities – Fun Fridays involving games and quizzes. Wednesdays talk and chat, given by organisations such as Mags Day Centre, St Paul's Hostel and Worcester Food Bank. Online talks, auctions and craft demonstrations. And if an event was missed, there was often catch-up recordings to listen to. The phrase, a little knowledge is a dangerous thing, was certainly true in the early days. Individuals lost links and phoned for help during events. The mute button was forgotten at delicate moments and sometimes strange sounds emerged from someone's system. Despite all of these setbacks, the villagers enjoyed the opportunity to meet and speak to others and one of the best ideas was online wine tasting, which avoided the problems of drinking and driving. So popular has Zoom become that there is a desire to continue its use on at least some occasions, even when the pandemic is over as it offers advantages to the elderly and rural communities. There's no need to go out after dark along unlit lanes, reducing the fear of falls. 
There's less time wasted travelling to events. And when holidays begin again, you can still attend events from almost anywhere in the world. So, as we leave lockdown, we now ask, to Zoom or not to Zoom? That is the question. I know the internet's magic, but the idea of online wine tasting (laughs) takes some getting around, doesn't it? It Anyway, news of a landmark in Worcester's history. Artists invited to join festival. Artists are invited to be involved in a festival to celebrate the 400th anniversary of a significant milestone in Worcester's history. On the 2nd of October 1621, King James I put his seal to the charter that granted Worcester the rights and constitution which still form the basis for modern governance of the city today. A charter festival is planned during 2021 and commissions are being offered for artworks inspired by significant aspects of Worcester's history over the last 400 years. The artworks, which are being commissioned by Worcester City Council, could take any form painting, sculpture, performance, piece of writing or a digital creation. They will go on display in Worcester on the 2nd of October, which is, of course, the actual date of the anniversary. The City Council has a total budget of £5,000 to pay for the artwork and between one and four artists will be commissioned. The arts have helped to sustain many of us throughout this last year and they have had a crucial role to play in encouraging people to return to the city centre as Worcester recovers from Covid, said Councillor Joe Hodges, Mayor of Worcester. The artworks we're commissioning will help to draw attention to the significance of Worcester's city charter, which forms the bedrock of local governments and underpins many of the freedoms we enjoy today. The Charter Festival aims to bring people back to the city to enjoy its attractions, hotels, bars and restaurants. Interested artists and creatives should submit an expression of interest and a short proposal by 9am on April the 19th. See visitworcester.co.uk forward slash charter 400. Another festival returns, potentially. Oktoberfest is set to return to Worcestershire this autumn. The festival, which was held in 2017, 18 and 19, has applied for a licence to serve alcohol ahead of the planned festival, which will be held at Worcester Rugby Club in October. This is a change of venue for the festival, which was previously held at Worcester Racecourse. The licensing application requests permission to serve beer, as well as holding dances and live music for three nights in October 22nd, 23rd and 24th. A post on the Worcester Oktoberfest Facebook page confirmed the festival is returning. It said, Steins at the ready. Due to phenomenal demand, Oktoberfest returns to Worcester for a third time. Oktoberfest with Worcester will return to a new home, Worcester Rugby Football Club. It goes on to say that all tickets purchased for the 2020 festival, which was cancelled due to COVID, are valid for this year. For more information about this year's Worcester Oktoberfest, go to www.oktoberfestworcester.co.uk and the Oktoberfest is spelt OK, T-O-B-E-R, dash Fest Worcester, all lowercase. But can you say Steins for me? Oh, I, I knew I crossed it out because I wasn't sure. And I, you know, when you can't stop yourself from reading it, and I'm thinking, bugger, I've said that wrong, I think. If you want to correct it. Shall I start from there? So just a few words either side Steins, of it. Steins, it said, 
It said Steins at the ready. Due to phenomenal demand, Oktoberfest returns to Worcester for a third time. Is everything else all right? Yeah. Okay. Next one. Five billion pounds for broadband. New broadband is coming to Worcestershire as part of a five billion scheme to improve network quality across the UK. The first areas targeted for a five billion broadband upgrade have been revealed, with work to start in 2022. As many as 510,000 homes and businesses, long plagued by sluggish broadband, will be front of the queue as part of the government's Project Gigabit scheme. These include Cambridgeshire, Cornwall, Cumbria, Dorset, Durham, Essex, Northumberland, South Tyneside and Tees Valley. Firms will be able to bid for contracts on the project from spring, with a spades in the ground in the first half of 2022, the Department for Digital Culture, Media and Sport said. Plans for six more locations, Norfolk, Shropshire, Suffolk, Worcestershire, Hampshire and the Isle of Wight, are set to follow in June, covering a further 640,000 premises. In addition, £210 million worth of vouchers will be available once again from April the 8th, allowing eligible residents to ask for up to £1,500 and businesses £3,500 towards the cost of installing gigabit-capable broadband. Prime Minister Boris Johnson said Project Gigabit is the rocket boost that we need to get lightning-fast broadband to all areas of the country. This broadband revolution will fire up people's businesses and homes and the vital public services that we all rely on so we can continue to level up and build back better from this pandemic. Some £110 million has been set aside to support GP surgeries, go at libraries and schools, while the government also explores how satellite and 5G technology could be used to connect very hard to reach spots, starting with a call for evidence. The development comes after regulator Ofcom announced that it will not impose price caps on full fibre connections provided by firms as part of the new rules. Digital Secretary Oliver Dowden said, Project Gigabit is our national mission to plug in and power up every corner of the UK and get us gigafit for the future. People with disabilities have described significant problems navigating street furniture after cafes and restaurants are reopened for outdoor customers. New measures came into force in England last Monday as part of the easing of lockdown meaning hospitality venues can now serve customers outdoors. But some of the measures put in place to ensure social distancing is maintained, including the use of tables and chairs on pavements, risk making accessibility difficult. Alan Benson, chair of Transport for All, an organisation that aims to improve transport accessibility for disabled people, said fencing off areas with tables and chairs and making sure the pavement is wide enough for wheelchairs could be a way of making areas more accessible. Fazlet Hardy, Head of Policy at Dis- Disability Rights UK, said, It is important that councils consult with their disabled residents before granting permission. Cold snap. The sudden cold snap to hit Worcestershire has seen unusually chilly April weather, but what's causing it? According to the Met Office, it is not unusual to see temperatures swing at this time of year, though this year's feels much colder due to the previous warm weather front being displaced. Dr Mark McCarthy, scientific manager of the National Climate Information Centre, said it's not unusual to experience wide temperature variation during a typical spring. 
On average, the UK sees around 14 days each spring where temperatures fall to zero degrees Celsius or below, and even residents in central and southeastern England can expect to see temperatures drop to this level around 10 days each spring. Coastal regions and islands around the southern UK witness the fewest spring frosts on average. Dr McCarthy added, Of course, you would expect the lowest and highest spring temperatures to occur at the beginning and end of the season, respectively. But natural variation dictates that periods of lower than average temperatures are to be expected as we move through the season. The world's biggest rabbit has been stolen from the garden of his home in Stolton, police have said. West Mercia police have said Darius, the famous bunny who holds the Guinness World Record for the world's largest rabbit, standing at four feet four inches tall, is believed to have been stolen from his enclosure on Saturday night. Owner Annette Edwards has said it is a very sad day and offered a £1,000 reward for his safe return. He was named as the longest rabbit in 2010. In 2018, Mrs Edwards said Darius was retiring as she wanted him to enjoy a less stressful life at home. At the age of 66, she was at time the oldest UK glamour model and said she was also retiring from the spotlight with her bunny. She said at the time, we're still welcoming people to visit us both, but we will not be doing any more long journeys. Darius has had an amazing career and loves people, but now he's getting older, he likes to relax. I've done glamour modelling for over 40 years and finally feel ready to lead a quiet life. One of my highlights of Darius's career is when he went on the Jimmy Carr show. I dressed him in a suit and he loved having all the attention on him. He loves people. A spokesman for the police said, We are appealing for information following the theft of an award-winning rabbit from its home in Stolton, Worcestershire. It is believed the continental giant rabbit was stolen from its enclosure in the garden of the property of its owners overnight on Saturday. The rabbit is unique in the fact that it is four foot in size and has been awarded a Guinness record for being the biggest rabbit in the world. Anyone with information is asked to call PC Darren Riley on 101, quoting reference 002861110421. Alternatively, call Crime Stoppers on 0800 555. And I think that concludes this week's news, general news stories, and we will move swiftly on to sport if you'd like to take us away there, Phil. I would love to, Pips, because we were at last able to talk about some cricket. And the headline is Cox digs deep to salvage draw. Ben Cox's unbeaten knock of 60 from 148 balls guided his side to an unlikely draw on a gripping final day of the LV Insurance County Championship match against Derbyshire at Derby. Cox batted for 31 overs with Ed Barnard and 14 with Joe Leach to steer Worcestershire to 193 for 8 at the close. Derbyshire appeared to be heading for victory when Matt Critchley struck twice in two overs to leave Worcester on 176 for eight. Ben Aitchison took three for eight in 23 balls, but in the end, Derbyshire were left to rue their decision to bat on for nearly 40 minutes in the morning before declaring on 312 for five. 
Libby edged his third delivery straight to Billy Godelman at slip, who dropped it, but two balls later he plunged forward to take a smart catch to remove Mitchell. It was a big wicket, and the hosts had another before lunch when Libby simply hung out his bat and played on to Hudson Prentice. Worcestershire continued to give wickets away cheaply, with Tom Fell pulling a short ball from Finn Hudson Prentice into the hands of Atchison at deep mid-wicket. He stood, head bowed, before trudging off, and Derbyshire was soon celebrating another success when Brent D'Oliveira turned Atchison to Hudson Prentice, a backward short leg. It was the start of an inspired spell by the 21-year-old right-arm quick who removed Ricky Vessels and Gareth Roderick in the space of three overs. But Cox and Barnard played resolutely until a critchley googly had Barnard LBW for 35, and in his next over he trapped Alzari Joseph in front. That looked to have opened the door for Derbyshire, but Cox was not to be moved, and he played out the final over from Critchley to secure a deserved draw. Worcestershire head coach Alex Gidman said, We don't believe we played as well as we could do in this match. However, we showed real character and great effort throughout the game, which in the end got us over the line for an important draw. I thought Derbyshire played extremely well. They dictated the game from about 11.30 onwards, so they probably earned the right to run it as they believed was fit. But I guess in the end, you could argue that worked to our advantage. Um, A national football story, but with a local twist here. Worcestershire fans, clubs and politicians have joined the backlash against the proposed European Super League. Six English clubs have announced they have joined 12 major European clubs to be part of a new breakaway league, which has been condemned by the wider football community. Worcester's Liverpool supporters group has hit out at the owners of of its football club, which has signed up to the plan, saying, Unfortunately, everything to do with football now is about greed, and it's us, the fans, that are to blame. We put up with stupid kick-off times, ridiculous amounts of matches, expensive ticket prices, the financial fair play fiasco, VAR, and some players earning more in a day than a lot of fans make in a year. Football stopped being about supporters the day the Premier League was formed. The whole thing is just pure greed from the owners. Worcester City tweeted a picture of their players in a huddle, adding, Billionaires and their self-interests. They think football is all about them. Well, it's not. We know where proper football lives. Support your local club. They'll welcome you with open arms. Worcester Raiders tweeted, Who's for supporting real football at Six Ways Stadium next season? And Bromsgrove Sport tweeted, Support non-league, support real football. Nigel Huddleston, MP for Mid Worcestershire, who's a minister for sport in the government, said, The interests of football fans and a dynamic, fair and competitive football ecosystem are our priorities. A European Super League could undermine this and would create a closed shop at the top of our national game. It would be deeply damaging for football and could destroy the football pyramid where funds from the globally successful Premier League flow into local communities. We support football authorities in taking action and the clubs involved must answer to their fans and the wider football community before taking any further steps. And now a story, a rugby story about Worcester Warriors, and it comes from last Wednesday's newspaper. Worcester Warriors head coach Jonathan Thomas sat down with the press for the first time in two weeks on Tuesday as Worcester prepare for their return to premiership action this weekend, that is last weekend, against Harlequins. 
Thomas was asked about the recruitment process and he revealed that business is not yet finished, suggesting a couple more players are soon to be announced. Our recruitment has been sound, he said. We still have one or two left to go, but we're almost done and I'm really happy with the squad we have set up for next year. We have signed one other championship player that has not been revealed yet and there is another big signing we have got to reveal in the front row as well, but nothing has been signed so it would be unprofessional to name them at this stage. At this club we have to think differently in terms of recruitment. We have to bring in people that either have potential or senior players who can be good leaders. So we will look at all good options that are out there. We are still also looking at more than one position in our forward pack that we will be trying to bring someone in for. So yes, we have a little bit of recruitment left to do. Worcester have already signed experienced individuals such as Willie Heinz, Will Chudley, Christian Judge and Scott Baldwin, as well as the 2021 Six Nations top try scorer Duane van der Merwe. It is not just players coming in who were discussed at the press conference. Wales's online rugby reporter Simon Thomas last night reported that Worcester's current backs coach Matt Sherratt is due to move to Cardiff Blues next season after it appears Dwayne Peel has been snapped up by the Scarlets. When asked about the rumour, Thomas was tight-lipped and did not wish to say anything on the matter. Like anything with recruitment or retention, as a club we would never comment on speculation. Sherratt has been at the club for the last year and previously coached the Worcester Academy side for five years between 2006 and 2011. Thank you, Phil. That wraps up the sport uh, for this week. As you've probably gathered over the last few weeks, there's precious little available. It would seem that an awful lot of sport reporting is now going online and stories are few and far between on the actual newspaper. So before we have the thought for the week, I would like to wish Marjorie Hughes a very happy birthday for April the 27th. I hope you have a lovely day, Marjorie, uh, with all best wishes from everyone here at Talking Newspapers. And so now for thought for the week, if you could do that for us, Phil, that would be lovely. Okay. This one comes from Luke chapter 24, verses 1 to 6. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground. But the men said to them, "'Why do you look for the living among the dead?' He is not here. He has risen. Thank you. So before we move on to the listener survey, which I need to tell you about, I will just give you the sunrise and sunset times. Sunrise for today, that's Tuesday the 20th, was 5.58 a.m. And sunset sunset tonight will be at 8.16 p.m. So everyone of our listeners has been sent a paper copy of our March listener survey. But of course, you may not have been able to read it, but we hope you might find someone who can. But we have decided that we will read the questions out on our recording today to enable you to have a think and then hopefully telephone in your answers or get someone to write your answers and put them in your bag. So... 
This is what the listener survey says. We hope that you're enjoying our, enjoying our service, be it newspaper, magazine or both, despite the difficult situation with lockdowns, making it not always possible for us to provide the service we'd like to. Our newspaper and magazine are currently available on our website as podcasts and can be accessed on smart, smart speakers, e.g. Alexa, Amazon Echo. The conditions created by COVID have prompted us to look at the way we deliver the service and how things might develop in the future. To this end, it would be really useful for us to know the technical capabilities and preferences of our listenership. Therefore, we have prepared a few questions for you to answer. Put an X in the box or, as I said, do please ring in and you can say question one, answer yes or no, question two, yes or no, etc. So, question one. Do you operate any devices to access the internet, such as computer, laptop, Tablet, smartphone, smart speaker. That's Alexa. So that's question one. You can answer yes or no. Question two. If your answer to question one was yes, do you or would you listen to the talking newspaper or magazine on such devices? Answer yes or no. Question three. Would you prefer to continue using the boom box? Answer yes or no. And question four. Do you look forward to receiving and enjoying the memory stick every week? Answer yes or no. Finally, if you have any additional comments, please use the back of this survey sheet. So you can either get someone to fill in the, the sheet that's in the wallet from which these questions have been taken, or, as I suggested, you can telephone your answers in. Thank you very much for taking the time to complete our survey. It will be very helpful for us in going forward as to how we will put our recordings together. Whatever your answers are, we do not propose to affect any changes to existing services without full consultation. It's more likely that we will add different methods of delivery and offer guidance on how to access them, rather than just remove them. So I hope that was clear. Um, and it just leaves me to say a big thank you to everyone today for getting our recording underway, to John for doing the engineering, for Phil to doing reading with me, and Carol for copying and administration. So it's bye-bye from me, Pippa Curtis, and bye from Phil. And here are this week's obituaries. Badger Harold Joseph, known as Harry of Pershaw, died on April the 13th this year, aged 93. A private funeral service will be held at Pershaw Abbey on Wednesday, April 28th at 2pm and due to COVID-19 restrictions, the funeral will only be attended by close relatives and friends. No flowers by request, donations to Midlands Air Ambulance Charity and Prostate Cancer Support Group may be sent to E. Hill and Son, Funeral Directors of Pershaw, WR10 1HZ. Eileen Mary Harold, known as Topsy, 
passed away peacefully on April 12th, aged 88. A funeral service will be held at Worcester Crematorium on Wednesday, April 28th at 12.15. Flowers welcome, donations if desired for the Worcester Animal Rescue Centre and they may be left at the donations box or sent to Worcester Funeral Service. Please contact the family or Worcester Funeral Service if you wish to attend because there will be a webcast of the service for people who cannot do so. Valerie Redding, Nay Mason and Griffith of Whittington died on Friday, April the 2nd, aged 86. There will be a private funeral service for close family and friends only. Family flowers only, please. Donations, if wished, are for Worcester Animal Rescue Centre and can be sent directly to the charity. Thomas Gilbert Orgier, known as Gil, passed away peacefully 28th March 2021, aged 80. Funeral service at Worcester Crematorium was on Wednesday the 21st of April at 1.45. Family and friends only, please, due to COVID restrictions. Family flowers only, but donations if desired for Cancer Research UK or PSP, which is Progressive Supranuclear Palsy, may be left on the collection plate at the crematorium or sent to EJ Gummery and Son at 6870 Ombersley Road, Worcester, WR37 EU. Michael Leonard Wilkes, known as Mick of Worcester, sadly passed away unexpectedly on the 23rd of March. The funeral service will take place at Worcester Crematorium on Thursday, the 22nd of April. Due to COVID restrictions on numbers, it must be invite only to go inside the crematorium. However, there will be speakers outside for anyone who wishes to bid Mick farewell from outside. Flowers may be sent or donations for cancer research and the British Heart Foundation. They may be left in the donation box at the service or sent directly to the nominated charity. Ralph Austerberry died peacefully on April 5th. Donations in memory of Ralph for the RNLI may be sent care of R. Davis and Son, 63 Westbury Hill, Bristol, BS 93AD. Joy Mavis Eldridge passed away peacefully on the 6th of April. Family flowers only, please. Donations to the NSPCC or Dogs Trust may be sent to F.W. Spilsbury, Funeral Director, 12 Upper Housel Road, Malvern, WR 14 1TL. Christine Ann Hoare died on March 26th. A private service will be held due to COVID restrictions. Donations in lieu of flowers are invited for Macmillan Cancer Support. And these may be sent to E. Hill and Sun Funeral Directors, Pershaw, WR10-1HZ. William John MacDonald, known as Bill, died on the 3rd of April. Due to current restrictions, a private family service will take place at St. George's Roman Catholic Church in Worcester. All inquiries to George Crump and Son, telephone number 01905 Patricia Kathleen Ruane passed away on the 1st of April. A private service will be held on the 23rd of April. Family flowers only. If desired, donations can be made to the Dogs Trust, care of Jackson Family Funeral Directors, 54 to 56 Barbourne Road, Worcester WR1 1JA. 
Robert Allen Thomas, known as Bob, died on the 30th March 2021, aged 72. The funeral service will take place at Worcester Crematorium on Tuesday 27th. Family flowers only by request but donations, if desired, may be sent to the air ambulance. A donation box will also be available at the service. Please wear a splash of blue, which was Bob's favourite colour. David Walker died at home on Thursday, the 25th of March. Due to COVID-19 restrictions, there will be a private family funeral at Worcester Crematorium. Family flowers only, please. Donations, if desired, can be sent to Worcester Street Cafe or can be left in donation box provided by AV Band Funeral Directors. Kenneth Atkinson, known as Ken. Funeral service at Worcester Crematorium on Thursday the 22nd of April at 12.15pm. Invited family due to COVID restrictions. Family flowers or donations if desired for St Richard's Hospice may be left on the collection plate at the crematorium or sent to E.J. Gummery and Son, 68-70 Ombersley Road, Worcester, WR37EU. Thomas Arthur Hayden, Tom, passed away peacefully in hospital on the 26th of March, aged 87. Due to COVID-19 restrictions, a private funeral service will take place at the Vale Crematorium, Fladbury, on Friday, April the 23rd. The service will be available on webcast and details of this can be obtained from the funeral directors. For anyone wishing to pay their last respects, the cortege will leave, will leave the family home in St John's at 12.15pm and pass the Furs Rest Home Malvern Road at 12.20pm. Family flowers only, please, but donations if desired for either the Greyhound Trust or the Racehorse Sanctuary Limited may be sent direct to the charities or care of Bedwardine Funeral Services 01905 748 Norman Albert Harris passed away peacefully on the 7th of April, aged 93 years. A private family service will be held at Worcester Crematorium on Friday, 23rd of April. Family flowers by request and donations if desired to Dementia UK. Care of Jackson Family Funeral Directors, Delise Wells Road, Malvern, Worcester, WR 14 4JL, telephone 01684 594971. Marion Holtam of Poick passed away peacefully on the 29th of March, aged 97 years. Due to COVID-19 restrictions, a private funeral service will take place at Worcester Crematorium on Thursday the 22nd of April. For those wishing to pay their last respects, the funeral cortege will leave Marion's home at 10.15am. Family flowers only, please, but donations if desired for the Alzheimer's Society may be sent to Bedwardine Funeral Services, 01905 748 811. Graham Payne peacefully passed away in St Richard's Hospice on March the 20th. The funeral service has already taken place. Family flowers only, donations to St Richard's Hospice and Cancer Research UK, www.justgiving.com slash team slash Graham Dash pain. 
We will be holding a remembrance celebration in the summer when COVID restrictions are lifted, date and time to be confirmed. Margaret Edith Taylor passed away peacefully on March the 28th, aged 87. A private family funeral will take place in due course, family flowers only, with donations to Midlands Air Ambulance, sent care of Bedwardine Funeral Services, 30 Bromyard Road, St John's, Worcester, WR2 5BT, telephone 01905 748811. Graham Robert Roberts, known as Robin, passed away suddenly but peacefully at home on March the 24th, aged 87. Funeral service will take place at the Vale Crematorium, Fladbury, on Wednesday the 21st of April. Due to regulations imposed because of the coronavirus, attendance at the service will be restricted to family and friends. Family flowers only, please. Donations, if desired, in memory of Graham for the Salvation Army, may be sent directly to Worcester Salvation Army, the Trinity, Worcester, WR1, 2PN. All inquiries, please, to Cooperative Funeral Care, telephone 01905, 221 